Do you love to read but struggle to see print? Bookshare is a nonprofit ebook library that makes reading easier for people with low vision or blindness. Members can read in ways that work for them with ebooks in audio, large print, and digital braille. Get unlimited access to over 1 million titles, including New York Times bestsellers, periodicals, upskilling books, and more. Bookshare is free for New York Public Library patrons or U.S. students with a qualifying disability. For more information, visit bookshare.org today. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening, everybody. This is Brian Charlson, a co-host here on Tuesday Topics. Let's start off by uh, going around the room here with our usual victims slash fellows on this program. Larry, how are you this evening? I'm good, Brian. Good to be with you. How are things in your neck of the woods weather-wise? We're in the mid-70s. I was in Seattle for a convention, and it was in the 40s for the most part, and lots of rain, which will continue to this weekend. So I'm glad to be here, where it's warmer. Rick, you also hanging out here? I is. I is. I is. I is. How are you, Brian? I'm doing well, doing well. Uh, your weather is my weather right now, correct? That's right. You haven't 90, 96, gone off to some of the parts? It was 96% humidity this morning. I am telling you, we were living in the clouds here. You stepped out the door and you just, it was like you were walking through clouds. Yep. Very odd weather condition. So I heard a lovely female voice in the background, a Florida voice, correct? That would be correct. Although that you won't accuse cool. me of having a Florida accent. Most people think no, it's New no, Jersey. No. <laughs> it's New Jersey. Yep. yep. <laughs> and how's the weather in your neck of the woods? It's actually not too bad today. It um, was 82 for the high, and our humidity was lower than yours. It was 56% today. So it's kind of a nice day. No, kind of breezy and a little bit, you know, dryish for Florida. Tolerable. For Florida. Yep, and by the way, there. Paul, am I correct that there's more than one Floridian accent? Oh, yeah. Oh, there, you are. There are. Oh, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was going to say that when I was living in Oregon, there was a distinct difference between those who lived west of the Cascade Mountains and those who lived east of the Cascade Mountains. One would say um, Oregon, and the other one would say Oregon. So, even people living in the same state pronounced it two different ways. How about in Florida? How does that work? It probably the, the accent changes most markedly once you get across the northern panhandle of Florida. That's where that's where a lot of the Florida crackers are. Would you agree with that, Miss Marianne? Yes, the the accent gets much heavier as you go up north. Yeah. Like even people in Tallahassee yeah. have that kind of more southern yeah. accent. It's a little yeah. bit heavier. They, and and they say sure. they, they they say that they've corralled all them Yankees in South Florida. Yeah, I think that. Um, yeah, I think it's because in South Florida it's a melting pot. People, m- most people are it not is. actually from yes. here. So now, when I when I was first. Uh, I went to my first ACB convention in Miami Beach, Florida, and every taxi I took was driven by a guy from Philadelphia. It didn't matter. It it was like there was a whole 
taxi company that moved down there together. Yeah, that would that anyway, would not be the case now. No, now it would be which which subset mix. Yes, up here we have a w- lot which, of uh, which of which yeah which of a number Asian. of different languages would would people be speaking as their primary one. With, with most speech. prominence being given to Haitian and Hispanic folks. Yep. I would imagine so. Well, up here in Watertown, where I live, they say that they speak 36 different languages by people who actually live in our little five and a half square mile town, which I find amazing, but I believe it. We're very, very uh, mixed in that regard. So... Other than weather, I hope everybody's doing well on our little crew here. And I would like to introduce this evening's uh, topic. And I'm saying topic with a, maybe later there'll be an S on the end of that. And that is blind people, blindness, if you will, in media in general. Now, I know that the announcement that I sent out apparently gave some people a false impression of when we were going to be holding this event. And I apologize for that. That's what Paul, that's how Paul has to suffer when he leaves me in charge of anything. Okay. There's going to be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Anyway, you, you so did comes, just fine, Mr. Brian. I did just fine, especially compared yes. to you trying to access uh, the system at the hotel in Chicago. Eh? Yes, it was not okay. fun. Not fun, not fun. I wanted to put this topic out because it's one of my personal, I don't want to call it a beef, but anyway, a concern of mine is how blind people are portrayed either in fictional works or in reporting uh, as far as the media is concerned. For me, um, I remember there was a blind private detective show when I was a kid. Longstreet was the name of the show. And I was rather appalled at the time because Longstreet, while a decent detective in terms of reasoning, did things like, walked down the street with a guide dog in one hand and a cane in the other, uh, which... Right, and, and he chased criminals across roofs with this guide dog. Wouldn't be at all surprised. <laughs> the, he got uh, called out on one episode, as I recall, because while he was sitting on the park bench, supposedly reading a newspaper, they found out that it was him because he was holding the newspaper upside down. So that was my kind of first experience in blind people in the media. Um, well, and now and, and, I and, see and a lot really, of that. and yeah, but it really that that particular example measures two different things, wouldn't you say, Brian? Because it it measures it measures the super blink, you know, the guy who can capture criminals at a single bound and aim aim and fire with his eyes closed. And at the same time, the guy who's klutzy enough to hold his newspaper upside down and give away the fact that uh, that he's not likely to be very good at surveillance. Exactly. It, it was a real mixed message. I remember at the time, 
my mobility instructor was the advisor to that show. Uh, and he was absolutely appalled when he saw in the script that uh, the detective himself was supposed to be using a cane at the same time he's using a guide dog. Now, I know there are but people the who is... carry a cane with them, you know, yeah. to get in certain situations where a cane would be of more value than, yeah. than the dog would be in a particular place. But using them simultaneously, Ryan. not so much. Go ahead. What, what you don't know is that that's is. not a folding cane. It's nunchucks. <laughs> so when it comes to others in the media what what ones come to your mind paul fictional well, characters in the media blind characters i mean early early examples of the portrayal of blind people in the medium are, are, are in the media are are pretty consistent um, and and the bell that they ring most of the time, I think, is pity. You know, poor, incompetent, needing the needing someone to, to to be caretakers of us all the time. You know, one thinks back to the ending of Jane Eyre as one of the first and better known examples, and some of the references to blindness in John Milton's poem, particularly Paradise Lost, are are are, are interesting, but. I think universally until we got well into the 20th century, uh, what we saw in, in, in books in particular, but, but also in, in early movies was, um, was the portrayal of blind people as helpless and, and in, incapable of doing anything that is consequential, useful, or relevant because they're blind. And, and, um, even you know, even when we got up to the say 1930s, I remember um, having a part in a play that was about the Sacco Vanzetti case, um, and and uh, the only line I had in the play was, "Please, Miss, I'm blind. Can I sleep under the pipes tonight, Miss? Can I, please?" <laughs> well, I can see that there was an Oscar. Involved in that portrayal. <laughs> well, no, but I'm sure that was as the a matter of the fact, dog. Actually, as uh, a matter of fact, the play got the play got wonderful reviews, and all of the parts were given the, these wonderful reviews. But said the reviewer said, "You know, I really hate to carp over minor things, but the blind person didn't look blind." Oh my. And you know, there you go. The same thing is largely true. In, in old time radio, uh, and even like some some of the cavalcade of America is back in 1935 36. They did an, a, a a two week thing on the guiding eye, with and, and 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 featured a blind person who went to the guiding eye, and of course it was from their slant. Now they did tell the story, but everything was sensationalized because how amazing was it? that finally a blind person was going to get with a guide dog who, in essence, did all of the work, made all the decisions. and They didn't say that, but that's that's what was thought. And it was treated that way. So the blind person could never have crossed the yeah. street, for instance, without the aid of this wonderful, miraculous dog. Yeah. 
And yeah. it's the same hey, thing is take true. Take me home. Yep. Same thing is true in most radio. We did about a, I, John and I did about a six part look at blind people on the radio in the 30s and 40s. And in large part, we made fun of it because we knew what blind people were all about today. And back then, they weren't really treated well. Now, it was all, it was again, it was all about how miraculous they were to have the courage to do what they did being blind. I mean, if a sighted person can't imagine it, how can they imagine a blind person doing it? So fascinating stuff. And it really didn't change much, did it, even in other forms of media? Well, well and, then know, things, and, and then things changed. Right. Completely. Go uh, ahead, yeah. Brian. Well, you know, I, I did a little looking, look-see to find some things that <clears throat> about blindness and how it's portrayed today, if you will. And um, I have to say that there's a series on Netflix, I think what it's called now, where the lead character is blind. She's a guide dog user in the city of Chicago. And she is an absolute hellion. She, um, well, I, I remember in one of the earliest episodes, um, she got, she was acting as the receptionist at this guide dog school, uh, total attitude. And this couple came in and they gave her a $50,000 check as a donation to the school. And she was pleased that that happened, gave it to her mother who thought it was marvelous because she was the head of the school, but then went to her favorite bar that evening, which she did every evening, and uh, ended up hooking up with that couple's husband, the husband of that couple. And, oh, dear. Uh, went to went to his place because he was very honest with her and said his wife was out of town, um, found her very attractive, yada, yada, yada. So uh, there, uh, in mid-activities, shall we say, when the wife arrives because her flight was canceled. Of course. And uh, she went to hide. Of course. <laughs> and where did she hide? In the Under closet. a glass table. <laughs> oh gee under a glass table and the, the wife recognized her and she's under this table and she says uh, the character Murphy is her name says let me guess it's a glass table right <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean I loved the idea that this blind person was not angelic you know yeah uh, i like the idea that blind people can be portrayed in the media as being off-center as anybody else and she remains off-center i just finished season four and uh she's still off-center but She's one that comes up with these. Now, can you tell us the name of the show, Brian? I'm trying to think of the damn name, Paul. Oh, Kathy, Kathy Blackburn probably knows. Out of so the dark. Her head oh, in the dark. I, I, in the dark. I've heard about in this. I've never seen it, but I've heard about it. 
it is it is fascinating. It's I have not of, seen it either. And usually, yeah, usually when there of, are shows like that that are on, yeah. Um, oh, Kathy it, knew it, it, it creates some kind of a furor. <laughs> she just yeah, Kathy she she, she she just put her hand down. <laughs> yeah, Kathy knows almost everything. <laughs> she she may have known about the glass um, table too. I don't know. Yeah, well, uh, it's true. Yeah. So, in about, oh, I want to say, 1990, by the time that ACB and NFB had been around for a while, there suddenly Ooh. came to be a change. And I guess, and and I guess that the person who I think of a lot in 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 this change is a guy called Tom. What is his last name? Um, is Tom he Sullivan, lived out in who Cal- wrote "If Cal- You Could yes, See What Tom I Hear"? Sullivan. I think is what it was called. The book. Yes. And um, he he lived out in California, and as far as he was concerned, he was kind of God's gift to everybody. Mm-hmm. And he and several other people since then um, have written books where blind people are portrayed doing all sorts of amazing things, like climbing Mount Everest, which is no no mean um, feat, and and Eric Weinmeier certainly deserves credit for it. But the whole focus of these books is is what isn't it amazing what blind people can do, and um, it, it it used to be called cripplet, um, which which was a nice term for it. But somebody recently came up porn. with another term for it, yeah. which I like better, um, and that is inspiration porn. Um, I, I think that describes at least my reaction um, to books like that, and it doesn't only apply to blind people. By the way, I mean there there are there are folks in wheelchairs who leap tall buildings at a single bound, and of course, there's Daredevil. Um, <clears throat> so we aren't just portrayed with with one notion. There are two extremes. There there is. Um, there is the blind person who is incompetent and incapable, but there's also the blind person and who can do anything. Um, you know, and if you think about um, think about a, a movie like The Scent of a Woman, where um, this 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 blind guy is um, is driving a car, and he was relatively newly blinded too, so the assumption is that that he probably doesn't have doesn't have a lot of training. Um, so it's interesting. Um, it's, it's kind of all over the what map. Should, Again, yeah, one yeah. stream or the other, there's very little about the center of the road going on in how blind people are portrayed, both in hope fiction and in the media. I'm talking you know, about you know, yeah. news. Hopefully some people will be able to tell us about about yeah, some really I'd normal, like some. good blind people who are portrayed. Yeah. You know, Marianne, you're going to say something? Yeah, oddly enough, um, Little House on the Prairie, for the time that yes. that portray- that was written, you know, for, yep. for the time it portrayed, I think they did a good job. You know, for its time, right? Yeah. There were no conveniences. And, um, you know, she did, you know, the, 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 I, the vision loss was sudden. And I thought, I've always thought that that right. was portrayed pretty well. But didn't on- Mary suddenly get her vision back? Yes. No, he she, did. No, I can't remember. Her she husband didn't. did. He did. No, yes. Her oh, yeah. that's yeah. right. 
her husband That's did. That's right. But that is a common and, line. And, and it was also... Any... Yeah. 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 But it was also pretty revolutionary that they let two blind people get married. Right. Yeah, and uh-huh. that she taught and he taught. So I, I thought that was yep. an instance where it was done pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, yeah, I think you're right. I do we have right. any hands raised? At well, yeah, we do. Um, Kathy mm-hmm. has her hand raised again. Hey, Kathy. Kathy's going to tell us some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Hang on, Kathy. Um, hi. There she is. Uh, hi. Um, Okay, the, the one thing that bothered me with the portrayal in uh, Little House on the Prairie was there was one place where the whole school was, I forget what had happened, but they were having to travel and all walk on the road, uh, you know, in a line. And the thing that was weird was nobody said a word. Would that happen in a room oh. people that any of you know? Uh, no. no, no, not not unless uh, not unless they had a been gagged first, or <laughs> or um, or b had been had been told that serious consequences would follow if they opened their mouths. Right. Yeah, I'm, but I I agree. Yeah, and remembering another did, show, there was uh, yep. only one season. It was Blind Justice, and there was yes. One- yes. Oh, that was. There was one. There was one episode where the guy walked off and left his guide dog in the hospital hallway, and some bad guy nabbed it. And, and they're like, like <laughs> nobody's gonna, nobody that knows what they're doing and is responsible is just gonna go walk off and leave their guide dog sitting by a hospital room. And 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 not a lot of people in their right minds are going to nab a guy dog either because they're they're pretty identifiable. <laughs> so maybe yeah. that's an that's another stereotype that all criminals are stupid. <laughs> so Miss well, um, Miss Kathy, what do you think about In the Dark? I haven't watched it yet. I only heard about it last week. Uh, from yep. somebody or other, so I haven't I haven't checked it. <laughs> and here we were sure you were going to be be, be a, a major critic, Miss Kathy. Well, there's, there's so much content I've got. I'm I need about three lifetimes to consume it all. Yep, it's all. true. Are, are there some? Are are there any other blind things that particularly come to your mind that that you'd like to point out to us? Um, there was a good one on an episode, uh, I can't remember now whether it was JAG or NCIS, and I think that the actress playing the character was also blind, and she was playing someone competent. And, um, yes, I, I remember that. Uh, she was in two or three consecutive episodes because you know it's one of those shows that uh, goes on and on kind of thing yeah it was yep yeah very good i want to say it was csi not ncis but nonetheless again the surprise you know they're all doing their thing and in comes a blind person uh and it suddenly becomes 
the the thing about the episode. Now we have talked they did about similar when it comes to short. Uh, what are they called? Uh, little people. There was a detective. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, there. So why well, I, I did a lot of I didn't shows, know there was a short a short detective. Not not hmm. one of the agents in the regular series, but a guest <clears throat> from another department. Ah, got it, got it. That came in, got it. And if I remember, the audio description had to carefully dance around being politically correct and describing her at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, there's a little bit of shock value when you introduce a character with who's distinctly different than the rest. Uh, so I think that that plays a part in why blindness finds its way into an episode of any series right. that lasts very long. So there's another interesting show in terms of comments, it seems to me. Has, have, have any of the crew seen, seen a series on Apple TV called Seeing? See, just see. I don't think it's Seeing. Isn't it just oh, see? Very, very good. Yep. You anyway, right. yes, I, I watched, watched every episode of that. I thought it was an interesting premise because, you know, you and I are science fiction fans. And so the idea of a post-apocalyptic, I can't even say that word, post-apocalyptic uh, scenario wherein the only survivors were uh, as a result of, uh, of the disease or whatever created the situation were blind. And so they built their own culture around the fact that nobody could see. And it was really quite interesting that rather than just assuming, oh, well, everybody would be using, you know, white canes or guide dogs or whatever. They didn't do it that way at all. They very much worked on if suddenly uh, an all-sided world became an all-blind world, uh, what kind of adaptations would those individuals do in the kind of tribal warfare that's likely to take place when everybody's scrambling uh, in that environment? I thought it was really and, and what, quite compelling. Right. And what kind of tribal warfare would take place when none of the people who are engaged in it can see? Right. So I remember in can the I early jump in episodes, for a minute? they were talking. Yeah, please. It's, it's Jane just jumping in. And when I think about, I, I have not seen any or uh, observed or participated in the episodes of seeing. But when I think about warfare and people who are blind and sardonically enough i think of the game brother are you there have either of you played it no, it's a bit, I have not. I haven't. okay so basically it's blind man's buff or bluff whatever mm -hmm. two opponents are in the middle of the circle and brother one says brother are you there oh and both are uh Blindfolded. 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 Yes, yes. 
So both are blindfolded, and brother one says, brother, are you there? And brother two says, sure enough, or whatever he says. And then the object is for brother two to get the heck out of the way when brother one swings his sock stuffed with newspaper or something to try to bop him on the head or wherever he bops him. But sometimes, I mean, when you think about warfare, and that's a little ridiculous because there are all kinds of ways that folks who cannot see can win battles if they put their minds to it and they're careful. But um, uh, I think it's, I just think it's critically important to remember that in a world where so many people are making judgments to create less than, comma, or more than values that we uh, don't capitulate to we're less than. And uh, however we do that, whether oh. it's in, yeah, whether it's in conversations so, or yeah. So what do we do about it? Well, what I do about it is I get really pissed off, and excuse my English, but I do, and I say, look, you think because you can see that you have a better place in the universe than I, and sometimes you do because sight is a valuable sense, but let me tell you what hearing does for me, what smell does for me what touch does for me and and um and people need to learn and i invite people to learn rather than you constantly telling me what you see what you know what is for my good why don't you ask me what i know why don't you ask me what i hear what i how i make my judgments um, so that's what I do about it. I get pretty into it. I'm telling right. you. Anyway. So, so in the past, in with with regard to series like Blind Justice, mm-hmm. um, and 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 I think there was a there was another series where there was a blind dad who was being portrayed in a comedy. I can't remember the name of the show either. Um, but both the NFB and the ACB, I think objected pretty strenuously with the network about both shows. Is that an appropriate thing for us to do? Well, in my opinion, I think it's critically important that individually we remember that we know a little and we know a lot about some things, but not, we don't know everything. And it's important to go to people that we know and trust and say, look, I heard this. This is how I'm responding. What do you think? And then if there is any kind of consensus among the people that I talk to, that I then can go after the program or after the conversation and say, I have I have concerns about this. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I, I don't like. And here's why. And here's what I would do alike, or here's what I do differently than what your program has put forward as successful. And I think it's really important to do that. 
you know, Any one of the Brian? yeah, one of the things that comes to mind, of course, is uh, NFB uh, really put emphasis on the comic Mister Magoo, feeling that that was yes. highly disrespectful of blind people as a whole. Well, I and, agree. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, when I was a child, and I was a sighted child, sighted till I was 11 years old, I remember seeing that and never once thought twice about that. You know, uh, well, and, 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 and there are a lot of kids who love Mr. McGurk. Sure, sure. But, I just there, think he's somebody be, trying to pass. Some, <laughs> yep, so, there you go. That's the Ms. problem. Deanna, hello. <laughs> Hi. Yep. No, that's the so, Mr. Magoo's problem. Is he's just trying to pass his sighted. So. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I mean, happens when people are losing their vision and they mm-hmm. won't use any technology like a cane or a guide dog or even a Molot sensor or whatever out there. Um, to make their lives a little easier because they want don't want to be identified with being blind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, people I, will go to great lengths to avoid the label. So that, to me, is like um, cutting off more of yourself because then you go around and everybody thinks that you're either stoned, you know, or spastic or you know something they don't they don't see you as normal when you you know run smack into things or trip over them or whatever but it is it's it's pretty realistic though wouldn't you say for to portray blind people as trying to pass at at pretending Mm. they 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 don't have a problem (laughs) i see yeah i've only (laughs) done it you know in in among friends when it's been for fun like when i was in college right. going out to a bar with girlfriends that could all see and um one of them gave me a pair of her broken glasses so that if anyone asked me to dance i'd say okay but i just broke my glasses could you make sure i get back to my table <laughs> that, you know i just that kind of thing just blows me away because as as a person who grew up um, with very little vision most of the time and then no vision since the mid-1980s to the present, it's just crazy to try to cobble together some cover story. It's just stupid. Well, it was just and it's a waste of energy. Yeah, it was just it for fun. Serve I anybody. No, it's not fun. If other people don't understand that you're just having fun, I remember uh, working as a camp counselor, and some friends of mine decided it would be great if we drove through an A and W and everybody was using sign language. Well, it was just bizarre, and the poor server struggled hard, and I s- sat there in my spot in the car just going what are you doing and finally one of the other people said to her well thank you and she dropped the tray of stuff and it was just an embarrassment i we think i think i believe that we all 
can waste way too much energy trying to cover story than we ever, ever need to. And if we're just genuine and graceful and kind and honest and say, look, this is where I'm at, we'll be Jane, better can, off in the world. Yes. Can we take our can we take ourselves too seriously sometimes? Oh, absolutely. And boy, I have a brother who has worked in fashion and photography all his adult life and he gets on me all the time. Jane, get the scrummy look off your face, you know, whatever he says. Just take it in stride and I go, okay, I got it. But yes, I think I think we can. And I think that's a point of conversation too. Well, to me, to talk to a perfect stranger in a bar who's just tapped me on the shoulder and asked if, if I would like to dance with him, to go into depth about, um, I'm totally blind, so you're going to have to bring me back to my friends. No. You know, that's what I was trying to do illustrate was just something i did because i didn't want to be left out in the middle of the dance floor exactly well, but the and, point and, is but but so, also because and you, and I, you wanted to give you wanted to give him an opportunity and i'll get get you in just a second jane yeah um yeah to to, to come to a different place where he could see you in a different way and the truth is that he is going to be much more comfortable dancing with somebody who can see but who's broken her glasses than he is dancing with a totally blind person where it's very likely that he'll freeze up, wonder why the hell he ever asked her, and, and be, be scared to death during the whole dance. Yeah, and yes, be exactly. terribly embarrassed. So it was just something mm. I felt comfortable doing because I was with right. my friends and I, I knew that. if anything went wacko, one of them would bail me out. <laughs> so... I love square dancing. I just truly love, and I love, I love country music. I love what country western music. Blah blah blah. I have a favorite place in New Braunfels, Texas, called Green Hall, where I love to go. And all the barkeepers know me there, the bartenders, whatever. And I love it. I can get out on that floor and dance. And traditionally, what I will do, I mean, my guide dog is is parked and safe at the front end of the picnic table yep leash looped around right. the leg of the thing i walk back along the benches to my spot on the floor lots of people have asked me to dance and whether or not they see and make the connection between my guide dog and me is up to them but i love it and if people say to me, yes, could we dance? I say, you bet. Let's do it. And then I will just say, you know what? I don't know if you're ugly or handsome. What do you want to be today? That's just one way to deal with it. Just get them to talk uh, about what they yep. want and then just go from there. But I don't like to screw around. I don't like to wait. I don't like to prevaricate. I love to just find a way to deal with the truth now let's figure it out and when i'm square dancing i'll just reach for the end of the table so i keep oriented to where i am and i have gone all around that dance hall and i can always get back and i've learned part of not prevaricating is just saying to somebody 
I just need to get back to my table. Do you see my dog died? And then they go, oh, my God. What? What, 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 what? So I just put that out there. I just like to be straight up about it. I think at the age that right. Deanna was, it, it, we probably all did things like that. I mean, I rode a bike when I shouldn't have. Right. I roller skated in the middle of the street when I shouldn't have. Um, you know, I think at, at when you're a certain age, you just you're you think differently or you don't think. Maybe is the point. Well, and yeah. and, and even if you're totally blind, and this is this is going way beyond our subject, but even if you're totally blind, you want to do your damnedest to fit in if you can, especially um, at that age and. Yeah. Right, and I and I think an awful lot of us, um, and ended up doing things that if if we were if we were measuring our success on the on the ledger of um, blindness correctness behavior, we we probably wouldn't win any any medals. I mean, I know there there are lots of times where, mm-hmm. in order to make people comfortable. Um, I would make inappropriate jokes about myself simply because that's that's mm-hmm. one of the easier ways to make people feel less less uncomfortable yeah, with dealing with me as work. a blind person. <laughs> exactly. You know, like um, I was at an event and um, the men and the women were separating. So I got up from the table and um, I did hadn't didn't have a guide dog at the time, so I had I mm-hmm. you know took my cane and unfolded it, and this gal that was at the table near me said, um, "Do you do you need some help?" And I said, "Yeah, I haven't any clue." Is the women were all going off together to the bar while the men did their mm-hmm. their elk's lot initiation or whatever right. it was. So. Um, <laughs> So she said, what do I do? And I said, oh, just let me rest my my left hand on your elbow and just walk because I can tell what you're doing because I'm a step behind you. So if we get to the stairs and you trip and fall down them, I can let go. And she didn't laugh at all. <laughs> I love that. Because yeah, yeah. I was trying to make her relax and and. Not take it so seriously, right. like it, this, it was a big burden to guide a got blind person. Right. But right. but she, I yeah. think she so, just sort of get a little gave a little gasp, like oh. <laughs> so you did the best you interesting can. Interesting though this stuff you, is. You yeah, interesting though this stuff is. It's off our topic, and yep. I want to get back. I to was going to talk oh. about a book, so. but I can't remember <laughs> the title. It was a mystery. And it had to do with a young woman who was um, into. She was a programmer, computer programmer, mm-hmm. and her best friend was murdered on a, um, you know, computer meetup. Um, right. She met somebody in a public place, and the next thing you know, she's dead. So the police mm-hmm. officer comes to talk to her best friend. And he's shocked to find out that it's a girl that he had a big crush on in high school. But at that time, she was sighted. And so it's a kind of a ro- romance because he still thinks she's wonderful and amazing and beautiful. And he starts just just watching her. And in terms of, of his impressions, um, he notices like when she's passing through a doorway, she reaches out and touches it, the, the lentil with her hand as she goes mm-hmm. through. You know, and yep. it's one of those things that a blind person might do because I've done it. 
you know, to, to confirm that I'm hitting the doorway. <laughs> yeah, I think all of us have. Yep. Yeah. And so, um, but he finds that charming, you know, or delightful mm -hmm. that, that, you know, her hand, it, her, she's still graceful. She's still pretty. She just happens to be blind now. <laughs> but he's still intrigued. Mm -hmm. So it was an interesting picture because he didn't have her doing anything particularly amazing. Except, of course, she was holding down a job and, you know, a programmer. All the other things that we do. <laughs> yeah, you know, just, yeah. she was yeah. just still a yeah. girl that yeah. he admired and was glad to meet again. So we've talked remembered about another lots of examples. Sure. Yep, go ahead, Brian. No, I was just going to say, do you remember a series called Sneakers? <laughs> Ring a bell at all? I remember the movie. That's the, okay. It made I remember movie. I'm trying movies. to remember sneakers. Yeah. And there was a blind and, and, programmer with a, in that. The blind programmer in that movie. Yep. Absolutely. And <clears throat> and the portrayal was not atrocious either. No, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't. Here's my here's my point though. We've talked about lots of examples ranging from the absolutely atrocious to the eh, not bad in terms of portrayals of people who are blind. But we haven't spent any time talking about what the consequences for the, the notion that sighted people have of blind people are of the way we're portrayed, portrayed in the media. I'll learn to speak. Um, does anyone have, have thoughts on that? I have, I have a couple of hands raised. Just so I, you know. I really want to jump yeah. in for just a minute because then I'm going to have to go. But... I, I wish good. everybody would, would listen to or watch, participate in the movie called Passion Fish. Um, it's a story of a woman who grew up in the South, goes north to make her millions, does it in terms of her acting abilities and her position in movies. But when the movie opens, she is in a hospital bed looking up at the TV, seeing and hearing herself, herself in the TV iteration is saying, oh, there's light at the end of the tunnel, blah, blah, blah. And in her hospital bed, having survived barely a horrible accident, she just goes F you to that and says, that's not it at all. Uh -huh. And the movie is a wonderful exploration of what happens when she has to return or she opts to return to her family in the South and has to make a go of surviving and relearning how to live. And the big debate is about all of the uh, provider care providers who dump their crap on her because she is, quote, mm -hmm. locked in and she can't go anywhere. And she finally loses it and says, you know, get out. If you can't, if you can't be real, go away. I, I'm not here to bear your burdens. I'm here because I have to survive. It's a very fine movie. Um, and I encourage people. Oh, to is that watch. a TV movie or a? Is it a um, TV movie or one that came out in theaters? You know, I don't know if you could. I don't and, know. I know I observed it as a film right. that was shown in a particular 
um, university setting. Context. Yep. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know. And it's passion fish. Passion fish. You bet. That's correct. Yeah, it's yep. a very very, very All fine. Miss right. Jane, thank. Yeah, I'm going to go away. I've got to go. Thank you so, so much later, for later. your call. We will let you go. Yep. Hey, bye. Yep. Bye. Bye now, Miss Marion. Who's next? Deborah Kendrick has her hands up. There is Deborah Kendrick. Deborah. You must have written at least one article on this subject. Oh, Brian, I have. And I, I'll tell you, uh, I missed a few minutes because I was just listening via the echo person. And then you, Brian, you started talking about Murphy. And I, I, I just love her. I'm so glad you were talking about her. But anyway, um, so I, I thought, oh, I got to go look up the link and call. And then I've been so I missed I missed a bit. But anyway, I think I just missed a couple dissertations. But anyway, sure. so. Uh, <laughs> um, I just want to weigh in on a couple of things and then throw out a couple ideas, ask a couple questions, because this is like one of my favorite topics. Um, so first of all, as I just said, I concur with Brian. And the thing about what's so great about In the Dark, what's so great about that character, she's she's so irreverent and so unrealistic and so unbelievable, but that's what makes it so great and so hilarious i mean she does everything wrong as a blind person she's constantly leaving her guide dog here and leaving her guide dog there or calling her guide dog to her or giving commands which are nonsense but it's okay because she's like this really hip person who does what she wants to do and goes where she wants to go and she's kind of a bad girl you know she smokes and she drinks and she sleeps with all these people she shouldn't and but she's just got so much I don't know, so much uh, uh, love of life, charisma. you know? Yeah, charisma. Yeah. Yeah, there, she's just a lot she's of so that. damn cool. So I don't care if, if they mess up blindness. I, I don't care because they mess it, they tip the scales the way I like it. I mean, the way it makes it look better. So, so, so then. Right. And, and, but, and, but, uh, but I want to be clear you, you, you don't care because. Even though you recognize there are inaccuracies, the, the, the pluses outweigh the minuses? Precisely. I would rather see a, a blind character so she doesn't leap buildings in a single bound. She doesn't do anything this unrealistic. Good thing. The show, the show opens. I've only seen three seasons, by the way. I've been saving number four for when I have a little binge time. But um, the show opens because she finds she's friends with a homeless guy and she finds his dead body. So I'm not really spoiling anything because it's like the very first episode, but it's cool because she doesn't have superpowers. She feels it. She doesn't know it's him right away and she feels him and she smells him. And there's something, I forget what it is, but there's something believable that makes her realize this is her friend and and then she gets involved in in detecting but but i so so in that instance i love the show because she's so irreverent and um and smart and and independent i mean it's cool because it's you know it's set now in 2022 or 2020 or whatever so you know she she I, does what none of us grew up being able to do you know if she wants to get out of there she grabs her phone and gets an uber you know and that's figures into the show and there are scenes where she calls her 
well, I won't go into details because I know it's a family show, but there's a scene where she's in the bathroom and she needs to know something. So she calls her best girlfriend on FaceTime. So, you know, it's cool. It's like, yeah, that's realistic. That's cool. But, but I, I want to, I want to digress from there because there's a couple of other shows I really wanted to talk about and blind justice was probably my favorite TV show of all time featuring a blind eye. And I've been mad at blind people since then because it only ran 13 episodes, half a year, because blind people complained that it wasn't realistic and that no blind guy could really be a cop. Well, a blind guy could be a cop. I mean, as you know, all of those the years that I was doing some a lot of investigative work as a writer, one of my best friends was a retired FBI agent, and we used to talk about how the work we did was so similar because you you can be a cop without being in the middle of a shootout every day, and and I thought that the that many of the episodes, some of them they went a little awry, but for the most part. They did such a good job with his character, and it was heartbreaking to me because he, that they ended the show because of pressure from the people who should have been supporting it. So, and if anybody, if you, I think all of those are on Ciro and places like that. You can, um, I know somebody who knew I loved it sent me a CD a long time ago with the thirteen audio tracks. It's just, it's just a really good, good show and and i fantasized i never did it because the show ended but i fantasized about writing an episode for it because i thought that would be so much fun because there was one he for, for those who didn't see it he was a guy who had been a cop he was shot in the line of duty he became blind and after he got his rehab he decided i don't know anything else i want to be a cop i'm going back to be the cop and they let him do it and he had a female partner and there the dialogue was always really intelligent you know he was smart she was smart they figured things out together but there was one scene that was dumb where they they go into an apartment where somebody has done something i don't remember the details but somebody died or somebody did a robbery or something and they're looking for for clues and 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 she he sits down and she starts looking through the drawers and telling him what she finds. And I thought, now that is totally dumb because I would be way better at finding clues than my, you know, sighted spouse. My or sighted partner. Be. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because we, yeah. we so, look under things, you know, we don't just anyway. So, um, but, but I think that, um, that comes to what you're saying, Paul, what do we do about it? Well, I think, and, and I'm guilty, I haven't really done this much, but I think it's important that what we do when a network or a film producer or a director or an actor, when somebody gets it right, we need to tell them. And when they get it wrong, we need to tell them that too. And, you know, I mean, the best thing would be if some more blind people go into acting and more blind people go into uh, writing screenplays that'd be really really cool and, oh. and and it would be nice if when you're portraying blind people you actually encourage blind people to get, to do those parts right yeah and, and sometimes 
the 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 show you Brian was trying to think of sneakers was a movie and that's actually probably one of my all-time favorite blind characters is the guy who plays right um the blind guy in sneakers and he is done very well i mean my kids love that movie so they've watched it repeatedly and they always say he's just like he's totally right on and plus there's funny stuff in it there's a scene where he's sitting in the corner reading braille playboy and you know there's it but but his a big part of how the plot comes together is his super but hearing let's, and all let's flick it around let's flick it around for a minute debbie um You've got, or Deborah, excuse me. You've got you. You, you indicate that you, <laughs> I, I have that, that you like blind justice. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And you know that blind people were were panning blind justice to the point where blind organizations were probably responsible for making sure it didn't get a second season. Yes. Not because the show might not have been good, but simply because. Um, we we live in a society where political correctness trumps artistic merit often. Um, so, but my my question is: Did you have an obligation to stand up and be counted and essentially say, you know, blind organizations, you're flat out wrong? I did, and I think I did in a newspaper column. But you know, it was after the fact, so the deed was done. Um, so I. I, I, I'll own that, Paul. I think that we do have a responsibility, particularly if we see that something has merit or lacks merit, that we as the people being portrayed, we know better than anybody else. Um, but I, I do want to mention one other show because I, I think it's gone and I'm really sad about that. Um, I, cause I, I was thinking about it a few months ago and I Googled it and you can find all the cast and characters, but you can't find the show. And um, it's called What Love Sees. And I learned initially about it because uh, the book was written, the film was made, and Hap Holly, who's a blind guy in Chicago, wrote to me at the newspaper and asked me to, to review it. And they sent me a, a review copy and I liked it a lot. Richard Thomas. So it's about, it's about a young blind woman. It's a true story. It's Mr. Hap's mother and father are the people that it's about. And they're both blind. And it's uh, like World War II, post-World War II, I guess. Um, she's very, uh, comes from a very affluent North uh, New England family and is very prim and proper and spoiled. And he is a farmer. I think he's blinded in the war, but somehow they become pen pals. And I don't remember that, but they become pen pals. One thing leads to another and they get married. And she gives up all her fancy stuff and moves out west to have a ranch with him and they um they're successful ranchers and they raise five children and they're well respected in the community and it's a true story it's a, it's a book and it's on bard so if you want to read it it's it's a really nice book but i i love and, and the, the name again miss miss deborah what, the name again what love sees what love sees Very good. 
And mm -hmm. I believe the author is Susan Vreeland, unless I'm mixing, and that's V-R-E-L-A-N-D, unless I'm mixing that up with another, <laughs> another book. Mm -hmm. um, but when I saw it, I, before writing anything, <clears throat> I called Hap and I said, you know, I really like it because they're so authentic and the characters are so believable. I said, except for there's a couple of things that are really dumb. And he said, well, like what? And I said, well, in the beginning of the movie, she and her sister go out on a date with two sighted guys. She's blind. Her sister's sighted. They go out with two sighted guys. She comes back and she's going to make cocoa for them. And she makes the mistake of pouring the hot water not into or pouring something maybe the milk or whatever i don't know but she's pouring liquid of pouring it not into a pan but into a colander and so which you know is full, of, full of holes so the liquid goes all over and she's mortified and everything and i said that's just dumb nobody would really do that yeah and he he said wait a minute i'm gonna get my mom on the phone so his mom is like 80 at the time he gets his mom on the phone and she said, I, he said, Deborah doesn't believe that this could have happened. And he, she said, oh, yes. Well, you see, Cook never allowed us in the kitchen. So I wanted to make the cocoa, but I'd really never looked at the pans. <laughs> so, Got it. So it was, it was legit. And anyway, I, I think it, I, I wish everyone could could see that that movie it was just made for tv it didn't make it into theaters or whatever yep. but um but it was right. good but we're we're still we're still avoiding the question and i'll give you a first crack at it miss deborah okay um but the, the the question is what is what are the consequences for sighted people's notion of blind people of the portrayal that blind people generally get on in the media what are the consequences for us of the impressions they get? Yes. Did I get yes. that right? Yes. Okay. You well, did get that right. Of course. The consequences. Okay. We in real life, whether we like it or not, and we're all as different as different can be, are ambassadors wherever we go. So if I go somewhere and I'm in a really bad mood and somebody really irritates the credola out of me and I say mean things to them. Mm. And the next time they see a blind person, they're going to step aside a little because they know that those blind people are really nasty. Or if I'm really sweet, then they're going to think every blind person is really sweet. You get the picture. Okay. Or if I'm funny yes. or if I, you know, whatever. So of course, when you have a blind character on your Netflix show or your major movie screen, and they are superhero, uh, can walk through through the train station with noise and ruckus all over and don't even need a white cane for Pete's sake because they're just really good. They're just really smart. Well, yeah. that goes in your brain. That's what we are. And so then, you know, then, you know, millions of people see that person and then little old boring ordinary us who need a white cane or guide dog come along and we're perceived as a little less than we're not as cool so i think uh, popular culture i mean our our media our, our all of our streaming shows and our tv and our movies 
that has such power over shaping attitudes. And, and, and anybody who watches shows, you probably notice there that it's the media is doing some good. Finally, I would say for people of color, you know, for, for indigenous people, for a lot of groups, but we, I don't think we've caught up yet. And, and that show in the dark, you know, I don't want to give the wrong impression. There's a lot of really not so good stuff in it, but it's a, it's a refreshing change in that I'd rather see irreverent, snarky, smart than helpless or superhero, you know, but, but yeah, I think we should care. We need to care because right. what people see on those screens makes an impression. I'm going to be political so there's a, for a moment. Go ahead. Very specific. Yes. Is there anybody on this call who doesn't know blind people who are in fact that incompetent blind person? Sure. That person who can't find their way out of Absolutely. a wet paper bag. But, but, so but, when that's the case, do you only want to see competent blind people portrayed? Well, it, wh but where's the but, realism in that experience? But it's a numbers game, Brian, because we've been portrayed as incompetent forever. forever. Since the Bible, you know, like right. the first, right. the first ever, uh, nobody mentioned that Audrey Hepburn show that I that makes me want to scream. And I was a kid when it came out. But wait until dark. Wait until dark. Yeah, she she's the blind woman alone at home and. She outsmarts the, the criminal who's going to kill her. She outsmarts him. The whole thing is about how she can do it because she doesn't need the light. And then her husband comes home and everything's all set. And thanks to her and her brain. And he says, it's okay, Susie, you can come to me. It just, oh, I just think about it. It makes me want to throw up and scream and throw things and break TVs. And, I mean, you know, it's like, because we have I wonder how to she really feels. She's helpless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I well, think I'm, I'm, you've got I'm, it backwards, I'm, Paul. I think that what is portrayed in the media is what society thinks. And we don't have any mm -hmm. control over what society thinks except by um, applauding things that we think are funny or good or or when they really get it wrong. But just as as Deborah said, the Coco incident actually was something that happened, not because she was blind, but because she'd never looked at a pot before. <laughs> you know, so it's it's the kind of thing that like I don't know how many friends we've gotten into these ridiculous conversations of stupid things we've done, you know, like I uh one person on a call one time talked about how she thought she was throwing um, frozen meatballs into a, into a crock pot, and it was actually oatmeal cookies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, so, you know, stuff happens to us, yes, and that's part of reality. So it's not that off the wall. It's just that when it's so one-sided that, that you either have to be amazing or have to be pitiable. Well, those 
are so, the extreme ends. There's there's not enough in the middle. So so let's ask the group for a comment then. Would you would you prefer blind people to be portrayed as incompetent or as inspiration porn participants? You have you give us only two area <laughs> 608 area code um, Marianne. Me? Um, I would much rather it be portrayed um, uh, overly competent. I think that what happens when um, you you have um, portrayal of um, incompetent and, and bumbling is I think, okay, I think that sighted people are too willing to believe that already. That That is, sighted people are desperately afraid of blindness and so their uh, their natural thinking is to think that there's nothing we can do um and so when um i think when the media portrays us that way it's a confirmation so i'd rather um have to fight down the no i'm not amazing kind of thing rather than always feeling like i have to prove my com confidence that's that's how i feel about Deanna, it uh which which would you prefer, incompetent or super blink? Um, I'm not comfortable with either one. I want to be seen as a person, mm -hmm. not as a disability. Right, and as long as the blindness is going to be the first thing that people react to, that takes me out of my comfort zone because I'm not blindness i'm a human being yeah, i screw up and do bizarre things and i do things that are fun to me that maybe are out of your bailiwick like writing a, a poem on live the cadence song i was singing that time when we were crossing yep. the sky bridge and i was trying to get mm -hmm. my dog to walk faster because he was tired i mean you know i do what is me and it's not a thing to do with what i would probably be just as harebrained and crazy if i hadn't lost my vision because that's who i am mm -hmm. yep. so that's Ms. what Deborah, i want is to be accepted thoughts? as me yep <laughs> yep i think that realistic portrayals there's I'm a little distracted because there's there's yeah some there's kind some of it's a little background media noise in the uh, background. I'm not sure what that where that's coming from. There's some yeah. somebody is, who's TV unmuted has some or, right some media noise going on. If you yeah. could mute whoever you are, please mute. Yeah, whoever you are, yes, because it's really distracting. I can't tell anyway, <laughs> um, I think if blind characters are realistically portrayed, then most of the time. Even even though, yes, you're right there. We all know some blind people who, you know, I mean, I have close friends who, you know, are very uh, environmentally challenged, shall we say. But I think for the most part, um, if blind characters are portrayed as competent and just regular people and the blindness is just, you know, uh, a part of who they are, the way it is for real in all our lives, then, you know, to work into the script occasionally, a mistake. Um, honestly, understanding the backstory of Jean Holly's mistake in the kitchen made it kind of fun mm -hmm. um, because she was human and she only knew what she knew. And, and so, and, you know, Deanna's example, I mean, gosh, 
all of us. I mean, I had a devastating moment last Christmas when I um, put a can of pumpkin in something that needed whole cranberry sauce, and I knew it as soon as I started stirring it up. But it, but it was late, and there were no more. This was, you know, when everything was a shortage, so there was no more cranberry sauce to be had. <laughs> so my, yeah. my adult children were going to kill me. But um, you know, so of course we make mistakes, and frequently our mistakes are. Um, not always, certainly, but frequently our mistakes are related to our blindness. We make missteps. Haha, <laughs> no pun intended, as I uh-huh. have, have a secondary disability because I stepped off a staircase. But um, we make missteps and we, we, you know, because we're blind. So to work that in is fine. But, but I would much rather see people who um, are better that I am than I am at being blind than people who are hapless and clumsy and stupid and can't walk across the room until a grown up sighted person tells them that they're, they're in the clear. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, Brian, do you want to weigh in on this? Cause I'm going to ask you guys another question in a second. So quick answer is I couldn't agree more with you, Deborah. Absolutely. I think the character should be competent, but capable of errors. Uh, because that's, that is the reality. You can be a competent blind person, um, but you're not going to be competent every moment of your life. There are going to be moments no. when uh, the other day I was making uh, uh, chicken and rice in my Instant Pot. And I went to the back room and I picked up the bag that was supposed to be rice and I poured it in. And no matter what I did, I couldn't cook that damn rice. And it turned out it was cat litter. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. I've almost forgiven my sister for, for putting cat litter in a bag right next to the rice in the bag. But it happens. You know? It Ew. just happens. <laughs> So I think, I think we, that that makes us more right human. That. And, yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a wonderful um, story in Deborah DeBorg's book, uh, a cookbook, about the time she grabbed what she thought was frozen strawberries and she threw it into a punch because she thought that she didn't want to add ice and have the punch get watery. And so she thought, oh, frozen strawberries, that'd be perfect. So she throws them in, but it's actually frozen Brussels sprouts. <laughs> so her first guest arrives, oh, no. walks in and says, oh, how clever, red and green punch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. These things happen. Marianne, last chance at the question. No, no, I, I weighed in. I like, like I said, I'd much rather. But you do have some people who might want to weigh in here um, in the audience. Very good. Yep. 6608. You may, you are unmuted. Uh, this is Peter. Um, I, uh, uh, are we still on the last question, Paul? We yes. can be. Okay. Because um I, I i really have um i i really don't know what what to do with with the be, the best or the or the worst that um 
I have I have difficulties trying to live up to people's expectations of being the super blank, and um, and I'm appalled at at, um, at what the expectation minimal expectations are, um, and that we have we we have created this this um, uh, image of what blind people are supposed to be like. And that um, I just uh, finished serving a congregation where one of the women would not participate in the congregation because uh, she had just lost her eyesight. <clears throat> and that um, having me as, as the pastor in that congregation meant that she had to try and achieve more than she was willing to do. And so she opted to uh, withdraw from participation in the congregation altogether, and she wouldn't even talk to me because... Um, I was I was outperforming what she thought a blind person should be like. Um, I, I think that we set these these criterion up in in the media, and that um, that we set up we set up either either um, uh, standards that are so far below what our potential is, um, or so far above our potential that we find ourselves in a double bind situation of not being able to um, uh, achieve either of them. Yep. Could could it also be true though? And it's an interesting, or at least it's interesting to me. Could it also be true that if blind people were portrayed as we really are, nobody would find us interesting? Well, I mean that's possible. My favorite blind character on on uh, media was uh, Jake on on the show Becker. That uh, he ran a um, what I assumed was um, uh, a stand uh, at a restaurant newsstand across the street from the bar, and that he would come into the bar after um, after work and. Um, he was funny. He was black. He was blind, and that uh, he was able to pull off a number of um, the one show. I remember him sitting at the bar, and he was talking, and he said, "Okay, you've all walked away from me, right? I'm sitting here all by myself." And then he picked up his cane and he walked out, and he said, "Yeah, nice joke on the blind guy," and and it was just. Uh, Nice. It was, it was, it was real. I mean, you know, things like that happen. And uh, I really liked his uh, the way he he uh, portrayed the the character. And um, I have no idea whether or not he really was blind, but that he used to cane properly. Um, He moved around. He, um, you know, that that uh, the one day they took his the bar stool that he usually sat on that they they pulled the bar stool out and he said yeah nice rearranged the furniture without letting me know and you know it was just there were some some uh, sort of sighted jokes that you know the people things that sighted people do to blind people and but that he was able to just roll with it i i thought that was it was it was nice but i think that trying to um, trying to live up to the super blink is, um, uh, I think that's as hard as trying to deal with the uh, totally helpless one. Mm-hmm. Mr. Peter, thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Miss Marianne, do we have Brandy. somebody else? Yeah, Brandy has her hand raised. Hey, Brandy. 
don't I don't know if we know you. Hello, welcome. Mm-hmm. Hello. Sorry, um, I do have teenagers in my house, so it's a little bit loud, but I wanted to make a couple of comments <clears throat> and that I think the secret to all this is really to hire blind actors because I feel like it portrays an actual viewpoint from a blind person's perspective of how life is. And um, I think if we hired more blind actors and actresses that we could really do um, something great with with how we're portrayed in the media. And the other thing I wanted to um, talk to mention was there was an episode of Call the Midwife where there was a blind parent. And I just thought it was so well done. If any of uh, if anybody watched Call the Midwife, um, I believe it's, I'm trying to think what season it is. <clears throat> it might have been the second or it might have been the second to the last season. Um, it was a couple years. I think it was during 2020, but it was done so well, or maybe 2019, but it was, it was just done really well. And I really, uh, really appreciated the way they did that. So um, that's, that's probably about all I have to say. So, Mr. Bradley, uh, thank you very much for calling in. Yep, go ahead. Follow up on that, please. And that is, um, Apple uh, has actually started a, I'll call it an acting school for blind and visually impaired actors, because they wanted to hire a lot more than they found out there to be part of the C program. And they really struggled to get people who had the uh, experience and could work on a set um, independently. Uh, So there's efforts being made to do that kind of thing, uh, to develop the skills of blind people to be actors of the highest quality kind of thing. The other thing that's true in all of this is you mentioned the movie uh, Scent of a Woman, Paul. Who played that guy? Al Pacino. Now, how many people do you think would have gone to see that movie if it was a no-name person who was blind? The very fact it was him, you know, he's a headliner. Um, so do we only want to have movies that aren't worthy of uh, a headliner, having blind people portray blind people. I think we need to work our way into that scenario and just acknowledge the reality that many times the choice of an actor in a given role has more to do with their box office appeal then it has to do with whether or not they're portraying that individual appropriately. Oh, well, uh, I guess I'll, I I'll ask you a, right. I'll ask you a question though, Brian. And my question is, if if you hire a big name actor to play a part, and let's let's take the the, the guy in Stand of a Woman for example, um, whatever his name was. Um, <laughs> Um, he was a big name actor, and and he played this the the title part of this blind guy. But did did he portray blind people well, or uh, d- did they even care if he portrayed blind people well? I guess that's the question for me. Well, I, this is another thing that concerns me in our conversation this evening, and that is, 
he wasn't portraying blind people. He was portraying that blind person. And that blind person's backstory absolutely, absolutely affected what that individual knew how to do and what that individual didn't know how to do. But, but that's solipsistic, Brian, because the truth is, um, the truth is, whether we like it or not, when you portray one blind person to the, to the rest of society, you're portraying all of us. Yep. I'm not saying that's not true. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm, I'm simply dealing with this issue that um, we were talking earlier. I think it was Deborah that was saying, you know, you try to be an ambassador. I want to be as competent, as uh, likable as I can possibly be when right. I'm working with, right. with individuals who yes. yeah. I might be the yeah. first Get- and only blind person they'll ever meet. But right, you know, right, you know, uh, I fight all the time for people to say, "Well, blind people this or blind people that." That is not at all true. The fact of the matter is, blind people are individuals. I don't know two that are but the it, same. Yeah, but it, I don't know how you. I don't know how you persuade the rest of the general public that that's the case. We as blind people know it because we know a bunch of blind people. And because we know that there are folks at, 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 at every different point along the spectrum of blindness that you can imagine in terms of the amount of vision that they have, in terms of their adjustment um, within the society that they operate in and so on. But the, but the rest of society doesn't know that. And whether we like it or not, it seems to me, Brian, that what folks who can see do is is to judge each individual blind person that they see as an indicator of what all blind people are like. But Paul, isn't that the same for just about anything else? I mean, if you're really tall, everybody wants you to play basketball. Very true. You know, if sure. you're blonde, they, they make jokes about um, being dumb. Um, you know, the lack of mental acumen, do I hear you say? Yes. So, you know, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, um, people put yeah. people in boxes and in categories. Old people are supposed to be a little bit slow, a little bit fuddled, mm. you know. And so... I'm at 74 going, I don't see myself in, in that picture, so I refuse to be that. You know, so right. it, what we so need, I think, need to do is get society right. to understand that everybody is a unique individual and they have to be accepted mm-hmm. for who they are and how they are and just dealt with on those grounds, not always trying to categorize them, but Mr. Jones is Mr. Jones, and he's always grouchy, you know, but all Mr. Joneses mm-hmm. aren't grouchy, you know, that that's the problem is we keep trying to categorize everything instead of accepting that everything is different. One Everyone step that is Netflix different. has taken toward that, if 
Um, one step that, that Netflix at least has taken toward that with its In the Dark show is um, Murphy is a sighted actor playing a blind character, but there is another character, a minor character, but there is a minor character um, in the show who is blind and... Um, and I can't remember even the character's name or the actor's name, but I was really, my daughter Googled and read a little bit about her, like how old she is and where she goes to, she goes to a, a school for the blind, I think. Um, but anyway, she's a 15, 16 ish year old girl and she plays the daughter of the cop. Now the, the cop kind of, the, well, I don't want to give away the story. Y'all should watch it. It's a lot of fun. Be <laughs> suspend your disbelief as Samuel Coolidge said but anyway mm -hmm. um, so but I think that's taking one step toward getting it right in that they they there are some scenes in season one and maybe season two where Murphy is her more serious and sensible grown-up side comes out because she sees the need to um, mentor this girl and befriend her and and give her you know like kind of the bright shining light of what the future can be kind of thing so they're they're small episodes but they're in there and i think and nobody has mentioned Marilee tarkington right uh, so and, and you know she's she's doing some really good stuff um of, you know getting parts and she's a blind actress yep. and she's getting parts and and uh, has and that. I, and I guess there's a whole series coming up, right? Yeah, I think yeah, I saw I, that, or, but I don't know. I think, yeah. Um, yeah. See, and there you go. That's something else that we, as ordinary mortals out here who happen to be blind, who aren't actors and aren't screenplay writers, what we can do is support, you know, spread the word, when her next show comes out, spread the word, make sure everybody knows and everybody watches and support what she's doing. She, she's got that um, acting academy where she's uh, teaching blind people to act and do stuff. To, to, I, I dropped in on one session once to see what they were about. It, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. So, um, I mean, she, she's doing the kind of thing that all of us, could, should do in our own small way, which is to help support others, you know, to, to promote blind people in these kind of roles. And, um, and then when the work is out there, you know, make sure our sighted friends and blind friends know about it and check it out. So Paul, there's, do you there's remember one... the PSA that, uh, Laura Oftedal was in many years ago. No, it yes. was the, it was the best PSA I've ever seen dealing with blindness. It wasn't an AFB. It wasn't a you know a, a NLS or any of the alphabet soup associated with blindness. It was a commercial for FTD flowers, if memory serves me correctly. And you just see this person um, just, I don't know, elbows up, walking down the street and stops at a flower vendor and buys some flowers. And um, the conversation between the vendor and 
this woman was something along the lines of um, uh, getting this for the boss in my office. And I said, oh, that's, that's great. He got a promotion. No, she says, I did. And then she walks off after picking up the harness handle of her CNI dock. Nobody's, this was not a blind commercial, but it portrayed yep. uh, in such a it, nice, subtle way. Yep. And there right. was one that somebody, I remember somebody describing to me fully in about two, now the one with Laura would have been more like in the 90s probably, and this one was yep. like in 2005, yes. 2006. There was a car commercial that a blind woman gets out of a car and shakes her cane out and, and, you know, strides quickly away from the car. And I just remember somebody telling me about that in great detail. And they were just so, um, thought it was so cool because you don't expect to see a, a blind person getting <clears throat> out of the car <laughs> anyway, but uh, stuff like that, where, where people are just kind of, and back to your earlier question, Paul, would we rather see competency or incompetency? That's the kind of stuff I want is like what Brian's talking about with the commercial Laura was in and this other one that I heard about with the woman who surprises everyone with, you know, striding away with her white cane that was in her pocket. That's what that's that's real. And yeah, maybe right. it's got a little superhero tinge to it, but that's that's OK. There is a commercial currently being aired. I think it's for, I don't know, toothpaste or something like that. And there's the, um, a school bus pulls up to let students on. The bus is already two-thirds full. And onto the bus comes this young man using a white cane. And he walks down. Um, asked if there was an empty seat nearby and a person indicated yes next to me and he sat down and he smiles at her and you know showing off those pretty white teeth and that was mm -hmm. the commercial <laughs> you know, oh, we good. could use a dozen more like that right amen yeah well and uh, you know we can this is an aspect of the media that we haven't talked about because clearly 10 years ago, 15 years ago, none of these three commercials that we're talking about would have been on television. I don't because would nobody have. would have perceived that, uh, well, I think two things, and it's, an, it, it's, it's a crap we haven't talked about yet tonight. One of the perceptions they wouldn't have had is that, is that it was relevant to talk about people with disabilities as a class. And, and so... All of the commercials were about um, uh, good, nice white American folks, and and if you got a, a perhaps a little bit closer to current time, um, nice black American folks, um, but not not disabled folks. That's a step too far. But I think the other thing that the that the commercials have done is they've recognized that blind people are consumers as well. And that's very new. And and perhaps ought to be the 
subject of another show down the road. Um, how do we get to be, per- because that's the change in perception that perhaps is a stronger indicator than anything else that we've talked about tonight of the degree to which attitudes in the general public, or at least in one segment of the general public, have substantially changed because we certainly weren't perceived as consumers 20 years ago. Well, but there's another thing here that that we're not talking about, which is how do we know what's in commercials? We know because somebody happens to tell us because commercials are not described. Well, there are ones that are, though, in a way, because like the Dove commercials with the girl talking about Dove body wash, because she says, I touch everything. I love smooth skin and my and Dove does it for me, you know, and. Yep. Yeah, there's another commercial. Blind, you know, I agree. Yeah. Where she just she's just flat out says, I'm blind and, you know, soft, smooth skin's important to me. Oh, so that's a commercial where she actually says she's blind in it? Yes. Uh Yes. 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 Okay, so I confess, I watch all streaming, so I don't see commercials. (laughs) No, it's a Dove commercial. (laughs) Okay. But I think that, I think the point you make is is relevant, though. Um, I I can't tell you how frustrating it can sometimes be um, when you watch a commercial and and you think, well, that might interest me. And they say, call the number on the screen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, And then there's a large, there's a bigger and bigger group of commercials that are audio described. Those from, um, what's it, Procter & Gamble? (laughs) Yes. Oh. That would make sense, it, yeah, because they, they have a blind. Yep, mm-hmm. and, and it shows. It, I mean, you can tell when it's a company or a brand owned by that yeah. company. Yeah, oh, good. Marianne, do we have some folks who haven't spoken yet? Who have you do. Up? John Shruskowski has his hand raised. John? Yeah. Hey, John. Hi, how's it going? Doing good. Good, good. very good. Uh, I got to say, uh, I wish I would have jumped on this sooner. This is a really great conversation. I'm uh, I'm legally Thank blind. You. I've been so for 20 years. Uh, I had my son. Um, I'm a single dad. I've had my son until about seven o'clock, and then his mom got him. So I was kind of occupied with uh, taking care of him. I have him for right. half a week. Um, but yeah, I wish mm-hmm. I could jump in sooner. Um, but catching on to your question, I, I definitely have some thoughts. Um, and I think I think it's there's no easy answer. I think it's a great conversation. But um, one of the things I guess if I was going to be described by other people, there would see me more on the super blind side. Um, cause one of the things I do, I'm a martial arts instructor, um, which is something I do now kind of part-time on the side for coaching. Um, and you know, this whole idea about movies and how we're portrayed wh- when I'm teaching students, a lot of times at first, they don't even know I have a vision problem, but then of course I need to, to read things and I need help or I don't drive all those kinds of things. But, um, it, it's kind of like the analogy I would tell them w- when you're learning martial arts and, and the type that I do is, uh, called Hakido. It's very similar to like judo or jujitsu. If you know, if anybody's familiar with that, um, mm-hmm. I, I always say like the action things you see in movies and martial arts is nothing like in real life, you know? And, and that's what made me kind of think of this, like the portrayals of blind people or people with disabilities in general in the movies, it's really not too much like it is in real life. I mean, just getting to the point right. that we are on the spec, whatever your issue is on the spectrum. Um, you know, uh, let's just take vision. 
Um, and, and I love that analogy. It is a spectrum, which a lot of people don't understand. It's day-to-day work. It's yes. day-to-day, like, ins and outs. And 20 years ago, I refused to see myself as a victim. And I just lived life right. as being, okay, it's one problem to solve after another. That's all it is. Like, it, if, if somebody was short, you have a problem, you need a ladder to get somewhere high. That's who I saw it as. And that's what I teach my son. And, uh, you know, I, I think conveying those messages like in day-to-day life, getting out there, showing your strengths, showing what you have, you know, of course, networking, connecting and doing things like you guys are doing with this, which is great. I think that will eventually impact some of the realism in movies, but that takes time, you know, so. Um, so, John, yeah. let me ask you a question because you, rep- you represent um you represent a group we haven't heard from much tonight. I think there's another of you out there who we might invite in after. After, but have you seen many portrayals of partially sighted folks uh, on the media? And are, are you are you concerned that there aren't many? Yeah, I, I haven't seen a lot, and it w- it would be a nice. Uh, it would definitely be a nice portrayal, um, but yeah, now that I think about it, I, I can't think of really any examples of. Uh, any any visually impaired or legally blind people in in the media at all? Yeah, and and I it's, it's an interesting point. Interacted with, but yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's it's fascinating to me because um, it's almost as though it's the same thing be, it, on the spectrum between you know the super blind person and 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 the person who's not very competent. Mm-hmm. There there is a spectrum. And the middle never gets heard there. You either are, are fully sighted or you're totally blind right. in the media. And that does confuse people. Except for one people, movie, I guess. You know. There was a movie about this ice skater, remember? Um, yes. Who was partially sighted. Oh, yeah. Oh, yep. yeah. God, I can't remember the name I of it, though. That either. I can't either. Um, um, so I know... I know that um, Terry Pacheco was around a while ago. I don't she know if she her, still yeah, is. she's still here Marianne. with her hand up. Yes, I'm here. So, Mary, yeah. What so, as a as as a partially <laughs> sighted person, Miss Terry, um, do, do do you feel that totally blind people get short shrift in the movies? And do I feel that totally blind people get what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. No, no. That that partially sighted people get short shrift in the movies. I think they do, and I think a lot of it. Um, this is going to be an interesting response, I think. I think a lot of it is yep. because of totally blind people, in that there was such an upheaval, what, it, better than 20 years ago, over Mr. Magoo, who was a partially mm-hmm. sighted person, um, and so much negativity about that. That I think that did more damage for uh, partially sighted people than it did good, um, because I think that's that's a something. Uh, yep. I think something Go that ahead. we tend to forget about is when they're when the public is looking at all of us. Are they looking at us? Are they laughing at us because of our vision, or are they laughing with us because of our vision? or our lack thereof. And, um, you know, when I was a kid, I loved Mr. Magoo. Um, but I think it was because in some ways I could relate to it a bit, 
but more than anything else, it was, it, you know, it was funny. And he usually overcame whatever the disaster was that hit him in the face, uh, that kind of thing. Um, I think that and, and, Deborah and, and Deanna have both made some excellent points on this call tonight. I think mm-hmm. what I do think is that um, we've gone too far into, in some cases, we've gone too far into whether we're a super, bl- a super blind or totally helpless blind. Um, and I think some of our best intended counterparts have caused that. Um, recently, mm-hmm. in my office, in our Office of Workplace Diversity, they've to celebrate mm-hmm. uh, the ADA, they did the film, um, oh, what's it called? Feeling Through, that was uh, done by the Helen Keller Center. I thought it was one of the worst pieces of junk I've seen in decades. <laughs> um, it was yes. so unrealistic. I haven't um, seen it. It's about a deafblind guy, maybe. It's about a deafblind guy. One of the one of the things that I thought was one of the biggest disservices that it portrays is they have the deafblind guy, and it is played by a deafblind person. He goes in with he meets up with this guy with this other uh, young young man, and they go to get something cold to drink at a bodega in New York. And he hands the guy his wallet to pay for it because he has no concept oh, of his no. money. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I thought that was oh, like dear. one of the worst things they could have possibly oh, dear. <laughs> And as it yeah. turns out, then, of course, yeah. the sighted guy takes a, takes a 20 and, and pays the $3 for the iced tea and then goes to put the money back and keeps 10 of it. Um and I just thought that was absolutely, I was ballistic over the whole thing. What but, was interesting was that another person who also works in my office, who um, has RP, thought the whole thing was a big joke. He thought it was just, it was, um, I, it was, so I think we all have very differing opinions on, on things. I think that it's a lot easier to have someone who, seems overly competent on screen to then as a as a as a real blind person it's easier to bring people down to reality than it is to bring them up from someone who's from the opinion that everyone's total, that anyone who's blind is helpless. So Deborah, you were going to say something? I was, yeah. Um, a couple of things. And, and Terry, I just, I appreciate your perspective so much. I just think it's so deep. And um, about, so first about this, this scene in the movie, which I have not seen and, and I, hope to eventually um but i can i can see the realism in that there are people who would do that uh who would you know hand their wallet over because i mean gosh and if we're honest it's happened it's happened to every one of us at one time in our life exactly where your money's all mixed up certainly happened to me right so well not and not not only that but where people do it on purpose I mean, right. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that certainly so happened it, to me. 
But if, I think if, if that would have been over, nicer. Wait, 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 oh, wait, 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 and it's heartbreaking, yep. but it's it's authentic. But the other thing I mm-hmm. wanted to say about Terry's comments were about Mr. Magoo. And I think I get what you're saying, but I also think aren't there things that all of us thought were funny? Maybe, you know, when when I was a kid, I remember Amos and Andy, and I thought that was funny. And I shudder now because I don't really remember it, but I know the gist of it was that they were black and they weren't portrayed as being very bright. And how horrible is that? But everybody thought it was funny and everybody laughed. And and I, I think maybe you could take a look at that with yourself. Like when you were young and you, and you thought Mr. Magoo was funny, well, you probably weren't as fully realized as a person with low vision yet. You probably were still kind of, you know, trying to fake it as we all have done. No, I and, think and there then, are lots of adults who like Mr. Magoo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I was very much offended by Mr. Magoo. I mean, as a blind person, because. But were you offended at Mr. Magoo as a totally blind person or as a person with low vision? Well, see, that's that's it. That's where, you know, in a way, my opinion sort of doesn't count because I am totally blind. And so that's the perspective I knew, uh, you know. So I thought, man, we've got enough things out there telling the world that I'm stupid and bumbly and incompetent. I don't need a show to reinforce it. But I get what you're saying that there was some but why don't you make up a whole new mrs magoo who's smarter but still makes mistakes (laughs) (laughs) there's an idea (laughs) that's what i was trying to say about the about the scene you're talking about if the deafblind man (laughs) had taken a bill out of his wallet handed it to his friend and said pay for it um, here's here's a ten. Pay for it, you know, because I folded it this way. Or what? He doesn't even have to go into detail. But then have him shortchanged. That would be real life, but it wouldn't make him look like he was helpless that he couldn't sort his right. money out. And right, you right, know, right. That that kind of right. thing. Uh, it's not just incidents like that to happen with people with vision problems. I I work for the Penn Medicine Autism Clinic. And uh, like with vision, autism mm-hmm. has a huge spectrum of levels. You know, you could be highly functional in the middle sure. or extremely needy. And money exchange, I mean, things are easier today because of cards. I mean, not too many people use cash anymore. But um, money exchange is a big issue for a lot of uh, kids and teens with autism that are learning to use money. And things like that happen all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think I think it is a realistic depiction of something that could possibly happen. I mean, you know, not everybody's honest, and uh, it's about learning the skills mm-hmm. to kind of, kind of, you know, hopefully you have people that will teach you the skills to kind of, you know, work through those issues so it doesn't happen. Yeah, I was you know, in an ACV yeah. event, and the person I was with bought a candy bar, 
and the clerk shortchanged her. And she was arguing with the clerk because she said, I just went to the bank and got cash and I gave you a 20 because that's all I have in my wallet. And the gal said, no, it was a 10. And it was a person that was standing behind us who said, no, I saw her hand you a 20 and you put it in the 10 slot. And so then the gal looked and there was the 20 in the 10 slot. So, you know, sometimes those things just happen. But yeah, it is frustrating when you know what you're doing and somebody else still tries mm-hmm. to screw you over. Now, I'm yeah, going I to guess admit, my point I, I guess the me. real question. Uh, uh, all right. So, movie. Terry, go ahead. A totally different, a totally different impression of the movie than you have, yep. Terry. I'm not denying that that scene was, you know, shouted out at me that, you know, this is not a, a, a very good portrayal of a deafblind person. But the way that movie uh, happens, the guy who he's interacting with uh, had had a bad time and he was down to no dollars and no cents. And he happened to cross, uh, come across this deafblind person uh, at a bus stop, I think it was. And the deafblind person was communicating with him by writing on a tablet and then passing it over. So the communication was pretty limited in that regard. And you heard the sighted person kind of think aloud about this gentleman and how he's got a positive attitude while he, the sighted person, was, you know, anything but happy about his life at that moment. And I got out of that movie that here's a deafblind person who is out on their own in New York City, getting on a bus to go home after uh, work or whatever. I can't remember whether he was working or, or what, but he was on his way home and bumped into this guy and started up a conversation. You know, let me know when the 72 bus pulls up, would you, kind of thing. And it was, to me, I was excited for the deafblind guy because I I just admire the level of independence. Yeah, I I can see that. Actually, what it starts out is he has a sign that he's holding in front of him asking someone to help him cross the street. And that's when he runs into the other kid. Where can we see it? Is, is it Actually, seen? it's available. It's available on YouTube. It's also <laughs> available on, I think it's called feelingthrough.com. I can find it and put it out someplace. When we were talking about the commercials, um, anybody remember mm-hmm. the commercial with the guy um, with the faucet? I can't remember the name of the company that uh, makes the uh, faucets. Yeah, uh, my daughter nope. told me about it. Oh. He goes into they're at a they're at a cocktail party it's or something at someone's house. Yes. He and his partner, and he goes in to use the restroom and really likes the the faucet, and comes back out and makes a comment to his wife or girlfriend or whoever she is with him um, about what a co- really cool faucet it is, and he's uh, blind 
experiencing mm-hmm. this new faucet. The thing Doesn't is, he make some this, observation you know, he was saying about 10 or 15 nice years house? ago, they were completely ignoring us. It's 10 or 15. Look at the, the one that Brian mentioned of Laura Oftedal, um, that one that I'm talking about. Um, three or four of the commercials that we brought up were all from 15 and 20 years ago. That's mm-hmm. when we had some very, very good statistics. I remember when Terry Hartman Squire and the BNL, BLN first started and that they put together some great statistics on our uh, on our economic abilities. And we've spent so much time going on about how incredibly poor we are, which is another issue that's perfectly valid with our 70% unemployment and everything else um, or underemployment. Um, We've had some great opportunities that we have, I think we've missed out on um, in years gone by. And I would love to see us reactivate some of those types of, of, of information. I remember when the FCC first put out the original you know, the original rules there that got shot down by the court and that I remember suggesting to people at the time, we should be giving people postcards that say, you know, I and my family are not going to buy your product that's advertised on this program Mm -hmm. uh, unless you push audio description for it, that kind of thing. Um, We have, we have a lot of, of, strength when it comes to advertisers um and sponsors of programs and we've and it's something that i think we've let go for many many too many decades and i would love to i still think that we could do it we've got we are in a much better position with many of those companies today than we were back then but there's still a lot more that could be done very good like to Thank everybody who's participated on the program so far. Let me invite um, our, our regulars to to sum up in a sentence or two what what they take out of this evening's program. And we'll do ladies first. Was Marianne? Um, in a sentence, I I think uh, I, I stand by what I said about in terms of your question um, whether I'd rather a, a bumbling right. person or but i i think it's all it's up to all of us to be the best that we can be and to to um dis to dispel the myths and misconceptions about blindness um that the media has perpetrated throughout many 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 years that's that's how i feel about it yeah good mr larry i agree with marianne but i also think that the media probably is a little more forgiving or can be than they might have been 30 to 40 years ago. Uh, And we're going to get better chances to do some of those things that Marianne talked about in the future. I would agree with that, Larry. Yep. Brian. I, I continue to wonder whether or not, quite honestly, the public at large can be convinced about anything dealing with blindness. It's such a core fear to them, uh, this idea of blindness. Uh, Marianne, you mentioned, you know, that that was back in the Bible, right? Yeah. Uh, you look at religious works, mm-hmm. and blind people are used as a, what, a simile for 
many, many things, and not in a positive way nope. most of the time. So it starts back then, but as long as a human being has in their DNA a fear of the dark, they're going to be hard to persuade as a group that it's all a matter of how you deal with it, not it itself. And speaking of a fear in the dark, I fear we're late. Good night.